So, are you DTFF? Talking fantasy football with your hosts, Dustin Lunt and Jake Trowbridge. Welcome back to DTFF, folks. Happy Tuesday evening if you're joining us live. As you can see, we have got a packed show tonight with two great guests joining us, and we are going to be talking all things rookies with the NFL draft happening this last weekend, which Jake and I decided in the fantasy football community is our Halloween because there's always surprises and tricks going on. Uh, and, oh, man, was it something. That first round especially was just unlike anything I've seen in recent memory. Uh, but before we get into all that, um, let's do some introductions, go around the horn here. Obviously, you all know my co-host, Jake Trowbridge. Jake, how are you doing this evening? Hi, I'm doing good, Dustin. Uh, after the dust has settled from the NFL draft, which you're right, is Halloween. One, because I think as Packer fans, we're just scared of it. So that kind of fits the bill. But I did not leave this year's draft being as scared as I thought I would. And for that, I'm thankful. And so I'm ready to discuss these rookies. Excellent. Yes. And then our, our two guests joining us this evening, because let's be honest, uh, they're much bigger experts on uh, NFL rookies in the Debbie community than Jake and I both are. Uh, we Coming back to the show for the third time now, I believe, Zach Reed. Welcome back, Zach. How you doing? Hey, thanks for having me. You talk about Halloween, though, slasher films. I'm a Patriots fan. This draft was abysmal for me. So <laughs> I'm glad to be talking Dynasty rookies and not uh, the, the NFL draft proper. Well, take your mind off. Yes, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and then uh, first time on the show here, um, uh, losing his DTFF virginity this evening is Sam Wallace. Welcome, Sam. How are you doing? Well, when you put it that way, <laughs> it's a very no, special Arable. moment. It's it's <laughs> it's incredible. I know. I'm really excited to be here. I've been looking forward to this ever since Jake extended the rose offering to me a while back to to uh, jump on tonight. Yeah, looking forward to chatting rookies with you guys. And as a fellow Packer fan, I will agree with Jake. I did not leave this draft as distraught as I have been in the past. So it, it was it was a good weekend. Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely well let's not waste any time uh jake should we just hop right into our drunk trade of the week this week oh you better believe it yeah let's do it and not waste any more moments drunk 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 hammer drunk 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 trade of the week Oh, gentlemen and listeners, we have such a fun one to talk about tonight. This week's Drunk Trade of the Week comes from Reddit, Ceasefires on Reddit, but not spelled cease like C-E-A-S-E. -E. I think it's a play on words that I'm not smart enough to understand, but they submitted this trade. They said, I got drunk enough mid-season of 2018. So hop in the DeLorean here for a minute. Trading away my first round pick for John Brown seemed like a good idea. It wasn't, they say. Now, there's not a lot for the nuts and bolts of this trade here to get into. I think we can all appreciate this trade for what it was. It was a moment of weakness, probably. They had very high hopes for John Brown. Now, keep in mind, okay, 2018. So, with just that, I want to see. 
down this memory lane here. If everybody can put themselves in those shoes, and at the time, would you have been excited for this trade? Let's start with Zach. In 2018, midseason, just off the cuff here, do you think you would have been happy to get John for a first round? No, not for a first round. But it's one of those things where I think you – we've all been there, right? We've, we've been at the bar. We've, we've had, like – you start to feel happy, then maybe you have one too many, like a Jaeger. And then you're you're like – and you, you, you size up that guy at the end of the bar and you think you want that smoke. And you realize that you you don't want that smoke. I think that's I think that's what we're what's what's happening here. Perfectly said. I love the smoke reference, by the way, to top that all off. <laughs> Sam, do you think that you would have been at least okay in 2018 getting John Smoke Brown for a first round? <laughs> I mean, honestly, probably because I don't even think I was in the Twitter fantasy community back in 2018. It was so long ago, so I'll probably have been like, yeah, it's fine. But I really want to know the context. Like, did that first round pick turn into like Saquon Barkley? Like, that's what I want to know. I, I need to know what that pick ended up being just to really put the screws to this guy. <laughs> you want to know the <laughs> level of awfulness that oh, you should absolutely. really be emphasizing. Here. I mean, because I, I cheated a little bit and I looked it up. In 2019, John Brown was a wide receiver too. So you got like one productive season out of him. Thousand yards and six touchdowns. But I mean... Could have been a lot worse, but I really just need to know who that first-round pick ended up being that he gave away. If you want to look at the silver lining here, 2019 was John Brown's best fantasy season of his career. So you got him <laughs> before he exploded for that one year. So I like the silver lining there. Dustin, do you have any additional silver linings here or any life lessons that you can impart from this trade? No, the only thing I can think of that would make you think this was a good idea to trade it for a first round pick is, you know, he was had that just horrible time in Arizona. And this is when he went to Baltimore. So new new landing spot, maybe a little hope for for turning things around for his career. Because I know, you know, for the most part, the fantasy community was always so hopeful that he was he was going to have that breakout. He he definitely flashed at times. But that that would be the only thing I could think of of why you would think this was a, a, a good trade um, other than being really, really drunk at the time. But <laughs> I mean, you, you got, you know, one and a half. Okay. Seasons, I guess. I mean, but if Brown was not... the missing piece to his title run, that'd be great. But honestly, he probably ended yeah, up losing yeah. to the guy who drafted somebody really good with that future first. <laughs> like that was probably the guy that knocked him out of the playoffs. Yeah. That's oh, how for karma sure. works. There's no 100%. way this ended well for him. There's no way. You guys, are we sure that the John Brown breakout season isn't still just around the corner? I mean, can we say that definitively is what I want to know. There's uh, a non-zero chance. <laughs> by the way, I'm just, before we move on to the rest of the episode, I have to cap this off here. I want to know, can anybody tell me the last team that John Brown played for and bonus points for what year it was? Anybody? I'm got looking anything? at it right now, so I can't answer. Damn you, Sam. Yeah, I know. I know. I, I, I pulled it up too, so I'm not going to answer. So, Zach, Damn you, you, Dustin. <laughs> and I have no idea. The last team I remember him on was the Bills, but it's got to be, there's got to be somebody after that. He, he went to about four spots in between the Bills. He jumped around to Jacksonville, Las Vegas, oh. and Oakland, I believe. He ended up playing a few snaps, though, last year for Tampa Bay. So, there you go. Unreal. He's, the more you know. still technically on their practice squad. So, he, again, could be just around the corner. That breakout, add them to your rosters now. So you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> there is a chance. All right, that's enough of that. Dustin, you want to kick us off into the meat of the episode? Yeah, let's get into it and not waste any time. So I think here we'll go 
we'll just go positional here. Um, cause I think especially for Superflex, uh, dynasty, uh, purposes here, where there's not much to talk about with the quarterbacks and the tight ends. Let's be honest. Um, so those shouldn't take too much time. Uh, but the quarterbacks, I think we can say the NFL really told us what they thought about these quarterbacks. Uh, end of the day here. I know we all had high hopes with um, some of these QBs. Um, Kenny Pickett, the only one drafted in the first round, going to the Steelers. How do we feel about that? I mean, personally, is, is it a, I mean, is it an upgrade over Mitchell Trubisky? Let, let's just throw it out there. I think it has to be, at least at, at least on paper. I mean, look, Trubisky was a competent starting quarterback for about a day and a half with, with Chicago, so he was fine for fantasy purposes. But he's he was always going to be a bridge quarterback. I can't think of any mock draft that I saw heading into this past weekend that didn't have the Steelers taking Pickett, Willis, somebody. Like We always just knew that the Steelers were probably going to invest significant draft capital into the position, and I really hope they give him every opportunity to succeed. Like I hope he does well over the summer and the offseason. And he has ample weapons, a great running game, questionable offensive line, but just weapons galore all around him. So I really hope they give him the opportunity to do well, uh, because like you said, he's the only quarterback drafted in the first two rounds this past weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Zach? But for me, and, and yes, I think Pickett will be better than Trubisky, but I, I had somebody ask me about Pickett, and I said, you know, I don't, Wanted to, I get him ranked right now as my 109 in a super flex. And I just took him in a rookie draft. And I feel so bad about it because I, I don't like he's, I, I didn't have good vibes with him coming in. He's fine, but fine is not what you're looking for in, in a fantasy football context. And so it, it not only speaks to how poor this quarterback class is, but also that re- there's a real big break right around that 109, 110 in a super flex. And so that's where I'm comfortable taking him, but you can't make me like it. Do the size of his hands worry you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, we, we had that same thing with... It's an with, honest question. With, no, like we had the same thing with Burrow. And I know that, that Pickett's hands are a little smaller than but Burrow. But they're smaller but like, than Burrow's. That was, that was the big... I, and I did a right. I did a Hootie and the Blowfish. I did Nine Inch Hands, uh, a song, a parody Ooh. song for for Burrow, and and the the hand size doesn't really bother me, but the the play bothers me for sure. I think mm-hmm. for me, the thing that it's encouraging is they invested such a high pick. So yeah. like, if it would have been like a lot of these other quarterbacks that slid into like you know a pretty decent spot, Atlanta as an example. Um, then I'd be a little bit more worried, but I think it is just the actions of the team that, for better or worse, he's going to get an opportunity. And whether it's good or not kind of remains questionable. But I agree. I mentioned to somebody earlier that I I don't feel comfortable taking – I didn't really feel comfortable taking any quarterback inside of, like, the top half of this draft, even pre-draft. Yeah. Um, and that was even, like, you know, even if we saw two or three quarterbacks go in round one to some of these on-paper ideal landing spots. So it didn't really change anything. It didn't really make it better, obviously, but it's kind of par for the course and then worse based on the draft capital. So how mm-hmm. much do we factor in, if at all, how interested are we in him, supposing he actually does win out the job because of the tools that are there around him? How much does, for a guy like Pickett especially, how much does that receiving core, who got its own additions, and we're going to talk about those receivers that were drafted here 
a little bit later too, but already walking into a guy like Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, a studly running back who performed very well last year, that kind of thing. Is that enough to at least, let's say for 2022, make him interesting to you? Or does that not factor in? In like single quarterback redraft? Absolutely not. Um, just because there's going to be so many other like Kirk Cousin type players that I would just much rather have on any given week if I don't walk away with a top tier option in the draft. In Superflex, I mean, he might break into the top 24. I don't know. I mean, if you want to rank him at like quarterback 25 for the start of the year, can he pick it? Jared Goff flip a coin? I mean, at this point for redraft, this is assuming he gets the job week one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, I think it's because it's been so long since we've seen a quarterback other than Roethlisberger in that system. I mean, we have no idea. Uh, how any other quarterback will do there. But I think if there's to be a culture, a system, a structure around him that I think will be supportive of him and give him the chance to succeed, I got to say the Steelers have got to be one of the most stable organizations just from a continuity perspective. Yeah, my hesitation, though, is you can be a bad quarterback or a below-average quarterback, and and that offense will still sustain. So, like, again, like Baker Mayfield came in, and he had – Jarvis Landry, and then he had Odell Beckham, and everyone thought Njoku was going to be great, and he had Kareem Hunt, and he had Nick Chubb, and he still fell flat. Uh, and, and so you can have all of these pieces around a quarterback, but they still have to be a good quarterback for fantasy. Like for the NFL, you can get by. I think Pickett will be fine with Pittsburgh. I think that they can kind of mitigate uh, his deficiencies and, and be okay. I am still reticent to say Kenny Pickett is going to be great for fantasy. I think you're looking at, you're hoping you have a QB too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I like it. Yeah. It's it's going to be fun. I like that we at least got one decent option in day one and in the <laughs> top two rounds that we can at least sort of look at. But, I mean, man, anybody that was taking the over on two and a half quarterbacks in round one or the top two rounds really wasn't thrilled. You know, I'd like to yeah. talk about Bailey Zapp, who was drafted. Okay, we have a Patriots fan on the podcast here in Zach. I mean, that seems like it's built, it's destined for success, really, right? Man, I was screaming for them to take Sam Howell, and 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 Bailey Zappy goes off, and it's just like, what, what are we? It's Belichick doing Belichick things, and and sometimes. So for the last 20 years, it was fun having the smartest guy in the room. <laughs> for the past three, it hasn't been as much fun. Because, like, if you look at the Patriots' drafts, they're, it's not great. I, I do mm-hmm. like what they do with quarterbacks, where they draft – I mean, even when Brady was here, they drafted quarterbacks mm-hmm. fairly often and fairly highly. So second, third, fourth round. It doesn't surprise me that they're taking quarterbacks. I mean, Mac Jones isn't Brady, and and that's a they they've actually got second round picks for multiple quarterbacks. I mean, if you go back through what what Belichick mm-hmm. did, they, he got uh, Castle was a, a second round pick, and then uh, Garoppolo. Garoppolo. So yeah, so you, you you see them do that. I Zappy was not the not the direction I would have gone. I'm I'm not coaching the Pats. I'm not the GM. So I'm just I'm here, just living the dream, watching uh, watch, watching them do their thing, watching uh, Tyquan Thornton run real fast down the field. You know, 
Oh, that pairing. Imagine those two together during training camp. It's it's going to be insane. <laughs> Glorious. Yeah. So the other highly touted quarterbacks are, I, I use that word loosely, you know, that we are all talking about going into the draft here. None got drafted then round two. We're going to round three. We had three drafted in the third round with Desmond Ritter, Malik Willis, Matt Corral. Are Are we... I guess I'm not expecting any of them to start this year. I think this could be a sit on the bench for a year. Maybe next year they'll get that opportunity. Um, but I think, again, with all three of these teams that drafted them, we're, we're, it's not a guaranteed thing that they're going to get the chance to start next year either. Chances are these, um, at least with Atlanta and Carolina, they're, they're going to be bad again this year. So they're going to have another high draft pick next year with this draft class next year that, that, is already talking about, you know, at least five quarterbacks probably be drafted in the first round. You know, we may not even see these these quarterbacks that were drafted this year get a chance to play. So do you guys feel the same way about this or am I totally off base? Yeah, I think you're right. From a football perspective, I loved the picks, though, by those teams in the third round at that point. Like it was mm -hmm. fine not taking them in round one. I was even fine not really any of them going in round two. But once round three came along and Ritter went to Atlanta, like I love the pick for Willis to Tennessee. Like that's great. Um, it's not a lot of draft capital that they sunk into him. Um, they addressed some earlier needs in the draft, and yeah, he'll sit for a year. He might sit for two years. Uh, I know it's it's been more uncommon that rookies will sit longer, like it used to be ten years ago. It's kind of unless the you're the Packers. <laughs> Come on, Come on. <laughs> like it used to be for a normal organization that you know doesn't. Anyways. <laughs> Now I'm all thrown off. Thanks, Dustin. But I see You're what welcome. you mean. Um, but with the third round draft capital, I think that's just such a good pick for, for all three of those mm -hmm. guys. Like I would love to see Ritter play this year because I don't think Mariota's the long-term option there. Um, I think he was always going, going to kind of be a bridge option for them, similar to Trubisky in, in Pittsburgh. From a football perspective and fantasy, I think it would be great for them just to give Ritter the reins and just let him go. Like, who knows? Maybe he's good. Maybe he's not. But they probably won't just because of the contract that they gave Mariota. He'll at least probably start part of the year. If he gets hurt, doesn't do well, then maybe it forces his hand. Um, but I think because the draft capital was so low to get Ritter, let him play. Um, he said if they're bad, they're bad. Then they get another high draft pick next year. You know, you never want to be a middling team because that's the worst place to be. Um, but I, I did love the, the picks in that in that range. Not really for fantasy, um, but I think from an NFL perspective, they were just good, good, mm -hmm. solid options in that range. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and looking at it for fantasy, so I just did a, a quick show uh, on Sunday to try to get my head around things because a lot of people are doing rookie. Dynasty is really, really intense. People are already doing rookie drafts. It was like Monday. We're we're dropping the we're dropping the rookie drafts. We're going and so I, to get my head around it. I did an, a show, and I have these quarterbacks all in like the mid to late second round of a super flex draft with the caveat that these are luxury picks. So if you are a top half team and you don't necessarily need somebody now and you don't need to necessarily have that instant value or instant production, then Ritter, Corral, Malik Willis – are interesting for fantasy in like the mid to late second. But if you're a, if you're a back end team and you need somebody, then, then don't do that. Start taking shots at some of these, you know, some of the running backs that are back there, you know, Spiller who ended up not in a great landing spot in terms of like instant 
production, but in a decent landing spot for some production, that sort of thing. So, yeah, I, like I'm, I'm with Sam. I like it more for the NFL than I do for fantasy. It will be interesting to me to see how. And I don't know if you, see, you probably saw this, but Tannehill. They asked Tannehill about mentoring Malik Willis, and he said, "No, it's not my job." It'll be interesting to see that dynamic where you've got the the young kid who was fairly highly touted mm-hmm. in uh, you know the the not just not just fantasy football circles but also with the senior bowl and i mean everyone said he was the 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 best thrower of the football and and so it'll be interesting to see that dynamic take you know take place with, with Tannehill and, and Malik Willis i'm i'm interested to see that one a real Favre-like move from the, the veteran Tannehill there with that comment. Speaking about the drafts, just to hit on this last part here, and then we can move on into some other positions, but you talk about these drafts that are already happening. I had two rookie drafts happening starting today. In the middle of both, they're in super flex formats, both of them. Both of them had uh, Kenny Pickett going in the middle of the first round, and I just thought, I'm stepping away and I'm going to absorb the value of these other positions that we're about to talk about. And it sounds like both you and Sam are very much of that mode probably here. And so that's kind of an interesting dynamic. And hopefully you can secure some value even as we get closer to the season, you know, not just for us crazy freaks are out here doing it now, but a couple (laughs) months from now too, hopefully that value stands. It's This is going to be such a wild rookie draft season from now until August. Like it really is because there wasn't consensus before the draft. Draft capital didn't really change much because all of the receivers got it. None of the quarterbacks got it. So that it's this really strange. Uh, I mean, it feels a little bit like 2019. It feels a little bit like 2016 where you didn't necessarily have consensus. There wasn't somebody that, you know, was was immediately obviously up at the top where you didn't have four or five guys that were going to fall in the same direction. Like, I have seen uh, Drake London go off the board at one. I've seen uh, Garrett Wilson go off the board at one. I have seen Burks go off the board at one. You've seen the running backs. You know, you've seen Brees Hall go off the board. I've even seen Kenneth Walker go off the board at one. And that's not even talking about the quarterbacks that sometimes you see still sneaking up into the first round, even though they got third round capital. So it's like it's going to be wild. And I agree with you. We just reap the value on on this happening. But it's also a rookie draft where if you can't, if you have a guy, man, move up and go get him. And if you don't, then then be happy with what you got. Mm hmm. Yeah, I had a draft start immediately Saturday night after the NFL draft started <laughs> or finished. And uh, yeah, I just kind of let it fall to me. I was at the 107 and yeah, just let it fall to me. And it was fun. You guys anyway, are hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we do. I, yeah, I, I didn't want to do it, it to be but... <laughs> fair. Yeah, my commissioners just made the, this whole thing. I, I don't want to be a part of that. <laughs> All right, well, let's bounce to... Let's bounce to tight ends because that's that's probably be the quickest conversation we'll have here uh, this evening, and and we don't want to end the show on on a quick note like that. So uh, tight ends, nothing in the first round, no Kyle Pitts this year, but we had Trey McBride going to Arizona in the second round. Um, 
I think that's an interesting spot for him. He's got some time to learn behind Zach Ertz there. Uh, it's a high flying offense. We know they like to pass a lot. So do you guys think he can develop into uh, a serviceable tight end in, in Superflex, or he's just another, he'll just end up being one of those in that seven to 10 range for tight ends that doesn't really matter all that much. The new Tyler Higby of the world. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think he could be, obviously. I mean, I think, I think the landing spot is, is excellent. Really good offense. He doesn't have to be the tight end one remotely close to now. Um, he can sit behind Ertz for a year or two. I'm not sure what his contract looks like. If it's going to be prohibitive of them, um, re-signing him long-term again, if Ertz wants another deal or whatever. But I mean, yeah, from, from a tight end perspective, because there really wasn't a Kyle Pitts in this class and it was kind of a weak tight end class after McBride, I think second round draft capital in, in the NFL draft was totally fine. Uh, in, in a tight end premium league, I still probably wouldn't take him earlier than if it was super flex tight end premium, I'd probably take him like in the early second because I think the teardrop off of the talent in like the mid to late first. And if you're really just not comfortable taking those quarterbacks yet, I think it just really opens things up for some of that other, that other value to slide up. So yeah, I think McBride is, is, you know, borderline top 15 rookie pick. Mm -hmm. Zach. Yeah. I'm, I'm in lockstep with Sam there. I may have him down just a little bit, but it depends on the premium too. And, and I think we get caught up in that in tight end premium when you hear that, you're like, oh, I got to have tight ends. It really only affects about seven guys because there are only about seven tight ends who get 100 plus targets every year. And so those are the guys that are going to end up getting that premium. I, I do like Trey McBride. Uh, he was my tight end one coming in pre-draft, leaves as the tight end one probably a, a mid second in a tight end premium and probably early third. If you don't have that tight end premium, because I kind of shrug at tight ends most of the time. And unless you have one of the top five guys, it, it doesn't really matter. They're all the same. I was just about yep. to ask, you know, you mentioned these seven guys that are going to get these hundred targets. Can you tell me who they are? Because I never know any <laughs> given year and I always <laughs> suck at tight ends and I'm tired of it. I need some help. I'll, we'll work on I'll effort that we'll get that offline but I, I have a okay. I, somewhere one of these tabs in my uh in my phone is is just tight end targets so your Rolodex <laughs> yeah. of, uh, of information is there anybody at all beyond McBride that mm -hmm. we're actually interested in then from this class I mean the only other one that I've got a name is Jelani Woods and that's just athleticism uh and and that's one of the markers when you're looking at tight ends is athleticism. And so, and I wish Kyle was still uh, doing this with the, with the dynasty dummies, but Kyle, who was my previous co-host used to do a, a cheat sheet, which was like athletic metrics. And I have never found anybody who was able to hit late round tight ends and be, be predict the, the, the productivity like Kyle with his cheat sheet. I mean, he hit Kittle, he hit uh, Mark Andrews. I mean, it was just, and, and, and Kelsey before that, like it was incredible watching this run of tight ends. But most of that was athletic production or, you know, or athletic measurements. And, and that's, that's what you're looking for outside of, uh, you know, production. It's, it's look for those athletic tight ends because those are going to be the guys that end up being, your Uber producers, and there aren't very many of them. And that's not to say that everybody who's athletic is going to be that, but that is a pretty big ingredient 
in that in that pie. Kahale Waring. I did it, Dustin. That's the one millionth <laughs> reference to Kahale Waring on this podcast. We finally, I was expecting balloons, but I don't see any balloons at the moment. Well, it's basically we have to bring them up at least once a show now. <laughs> yeah, Sam, anyone else uh, you'd be even remotely interested in in this class? Not really, no. Um, yeah, Woods is fine. Um, the guy Denver drafted is fine. He'll be, you know, he's at least interesting because they, they lost Noah Fant. Um, was it Greg Dulkich? Dulkich? Mm-hmm. I can't pronounce his last name. Um, again, interesting just from a positional perspective, um, on what's available on the team, but I'm not really, ex- I'm not really interested in drafting any other, um, tight ends besides Nick Bride. I'll just spend that draft capital taking, you know, backup running backs, guys that I think will have a little bit more insulated value long term over waiting for a guy to maybe give me a top 12 tight end season. And, and like was said before, once you get past the top handful of options, tight end like six to 16, they're all the same. Tight end mm-hmm. 16 just had like two less touchdowns than tight end six. Then you're just, you're really just chasing that that touchdown upside once you get past the top handful of players. Mm-hmm. As the I, super tight end expert, I just wanted to throw in real quick my two cents on the matter, which is if you're in a start eight tight end league, you should be picking up Jake Ferguson like immediately. <laughs> uh, and that's not my Wisconsin homerism speaking at all. <laughs> I, I will say my favorite pick of this entire draft, and not for fantasy and not for NFL, was Jeremy Ruckert to the Jets. So Sal Lido, who does the does the uh, Scott Fishbowl Potathon, does uh, stuff with the Fantasy Football Funhouse with us. He is friends with the family, the Ruckert family. He coached Jeremy Ruckert in soccer, mm-hmm. and Jeremy Ruckert was a Jets fan from. You know, when he was knee high to the, the uh, grasshopper. So seeing Ruckert drafted by the Jets was awesome. I just, that sorry. Was that was, that was no, cool for me. That is cool. That is very cool. Uh, I like that. All right. Let's move on to the wide receiver class then, um, where I think uh, there's been a lot of excitement about these, this wide receivers group. Um, had quite the run in the first round. Uh, much to the chagrin of us Packer fans here. Uh, the run started a little bit earlier than we had hoped, but you had uh, six go off the board with Drake London, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Jamison Williams, Jahan Dotson, and Traylon Burks. Uh, and I just want to add, if people have had their head in the sand, the Traylon Burks uh, trade, uh, they traded A.J. Brown to the Eagles, which has great fantasy impact as well. Uh, basically, uh in that trade, used that uh, pick to, for the replacement. So any strong feelings about any of these uh, day one wide receivers that were drafted here? Or are they just all going to be studs? Yeah, I really like the London pick to Atlanta. I think that was spot on. I like that they didn't have to really move too much to get him. Um, the Burks one was was kind of fun. I mean, as a big A.J. Brown fan, I was a little sad to see him leave Tennessee to go to Philadelphia. But it was kind of a savvy football move by the Titans to say, we're just going to reset a rookie contract on a big-bodied athletic wide receiver that we think we can still get some decent production out of. Um, he was due a lot of money, and he signed that four-year, $100 million contract with Philadelphia. And the Titans just said, okay, that's fine. We're going to draft athletically someone who we think is, is similar, not quite to the, the same specimen that A.J. Brown is. Uh, but yeah, the run started early, and I was way okay with the Packers not taking a guy in round one at that point because they probably would have still drafted Christian Watson at that point. So they just cut him in round two instead of <laughs> instead of getting him in round one. I really wasn't a fan of the Saints move up or the Commanders move up to get Olave and Dotson. 
love them both. Um, I don't like the Saints trading up for a four-year player who returned to school and was not an early declare and really didn't get better by going back to school. So that that wasn't a wasn't a big fan pick by me. And same thing with Dotson. I think he's going to be a fine NFL player, um, but his his size doesn't really correlate well to success that we've seen from players that are built similarly to him. And it's not a knock on him as a player. I think he'll be fine. But to spend that significant amount of draft capital, I think Washington just kind of got caught up in the run and wanted to get a guy. And I don't know if it was their guy or not. But um, overall, I think the value there is fine. I think we definitely have a very clear one-two with Burks and or London, whatever order you want to put them in. Um, I think I'm, I don't think I'm quite as high on Wilson as others because I don't really know what Zach Wilson is yet. Um, and now that we know what they ended up doing to the running back position the following day, still have Elijah Moore. I think Wilson's fine, but yeah, overall, I think it's a good, it's a good strong class. We got spoiled the last few years, but I don't have any, mm-hmm. any big concerns about getting some good productive talent out of these wide receivers in day one. Mm-hmm. So we're going to call out Mike Fiala in the chat real quick saying hi, friends. I'm very curious to see uh, if there is a wide receiver in this bunch that he could compare to his favorite sandwich and who that might be <laughs> and what the crossover is there. I'm not sure. Um, but I would love to know that. So, Mike, if you're if you're hanging around, please do let us know. Zach, anybody in that first group that is just your head over heels with? Uh, well, so I, I've been a big uh, Traylon Burks fan uh, throughout this whole process. He was my wide receiver one. It was interesting to me because basically everybody that was in that top like eight or nine wide receiver group got first or second round capital. And so things didn't really change much for me in terms of the way I ranked them for fantasy because I'm pretty much agnostic to landing spots with wide receivers. Draft capital matters to me, but you've seen it so many times where good wide receivers will drive targets. It doesn't matter where they are. I mean, A.J. Brown, that was a terrible landing spot in Tennessee. Tennessee doesn't throw the ball very much, uh, and and that – it didn't, I mean, it didn't play out that way. Everybody thought that, that AJ Brown was going to be, you know, buried there. And so, and, and you see that time and time again. So it didn't really change things. The one wide receiver that I was interested to see get first round capital though was Jameson Williams in, in Detroit. And it was because of that injury. So you see a player who was, uh, utilizing his speed as his primary weapon and to see that injury late, it's nice to know that the NFL, you know, they, they get access to medicals that we don't ever see. And it was nice to see him get early first round capital to kind of stay up in that, in that bunch. So again, it it really didn't move much, but it was nice to see that everybody got, got draft capital. That's an underrated aspect, mm-hmm. I think, sometimes to the draft is like, what do we actually learn from it? Sometimes it's that the issues or perceived issues that we have with a player, the NFL team does not. And so we should probably trust that more than we trust our pre-draft opinions. Uh, I did want to call out here, Mike got back to us about his sandwich comparison. And he says, Traylon Burks is like a nice grilled cheese, extremely versatile and delivers every single time. Mike, I, I don't know. I, I can't argue with that. Can anybody find a good argument to that? Because I cannot. No, it's perfect. Yeah. Grilled cheese, like, what is great, it's great. And when it's not good, it's still pretty decent. Like, you just mm-hmm. can't ever really go wrong with it. <laughs> as long as you don't undercook that thing. 
you're yeah, fine. No, and yeah, I, I love the draft capital piece as well. And like you said, Jake, you know what NFL teams tell us through their actions and how it either represents what we as the fantasy community think or not. We were so high in a lot of these quarterbacks, and the NFL was like, nope, don't care. Mm-hmm. Like we're not spending draft capital on them at all. And draft capital is the biggest piece for for wide receivers for sure. You want guys that are day one or day two. So the hit rate falls off a cliff when you get to round four on down. And there's just so much more player mobility now. Like it almost feels like the NBA a little bit when guys are just swapping teams every year and trying to, you know, chase that title, which is great. I mean, more power to them. I'm, I'm always pro player when it comes to, you know, doing what they can with their relatively short NFL careers that we just get to enjoy. Um, but I mean, even like Marquise Brown, just moving town, um, AJ Brown gone. We don't really know who's going to be quarterbacking some teams for a long period of time. So yeah, just draft that talent because that talent is always going to be there. And we're just seeing now it, the, the situations are so fluid for these players. So just go get your guys, get the talented players. And it is nice to see that Jameson Williams, you know, even with that ACL tear, those are almost just like a non-issue now. Like it's still a devastating mm-hmm. injury when they happen. And we really feel for the players, but they're not career enders. I mean, it's more like a blip on, on, the, mm-hmm. on the radar for some of these guys that come back in a year, year and a half, two years. And they're still great. They're elite, and they can still do what they did pre-injury. Just takes them a little bit longer. So that's that's really exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think if you hit anything on the, I mean, you hit everything on the head. Let's be honest, Sam. But the one thing is like draft that talent. Look no further than Brandon Cooks, folks. Here's a man who has been on a thousand different teams with a thousand different quarterbacks, and the talent wins out every time. So. Love that. And again, any chance I get to talk about Brandon Cooks, I'm always geeking to do that. (laughs) All right, let's uh, chat a little bit about the second round wide receivers. So we had Christian Watson, Wandale Robinson, John Mechie, Taquan Thornton, George Pickens, Alec Pierce, and Sky Moore. Which of these do you think will have probably the best which had the best probably landing spot, do you think? And I know, you know, Zach, you're saying that landing spot doesn't doesn't really matter all that much, but uh, just from opportunity wise, um, with with these second round picks. So there were three players that were you know obvious to me uh, pre draft that ended up with second round capital. So Christian Watson is one, and I'll I'll throw you that bone. Like he is raw, but very good downfield. Like there were so many plays where you watch him and he just was alone behind the secondary because he outran the coverage and the quarterback either didn't see him or didn't get the ball there. That's something that Aaron Rodgers will see and Aaron Rodgers will get in the ball. If, if, if he can overcome the, the rawness, the kind of Rodgers sometimes gets a little cranky. He's, he's like Brady in that respect where like sometimes you lose trust. Uh, Sky Moore. I think landing in Kansas City is going to drive his uh, dynasty value higher than I'm willing to pay. I think a lot of people are going to be really excited about Kansas City, that landing spot. For me, though, the wide receiver who landed in a great spot, who I had as my wide receiver three uh, going into this process, is George Pickens. And George Pickens has probably the lowest floor of anybody on this. Like he could, he could do something completely stupid and be out of the league. Like he's got that in him. You've seen him get into fights on the field, but when he is doing what he does, there is nobody that has a higher ceiling than he did. I I compared him to the Basilica. I said, you know, he's got that cathedral ceiling 
yeah, don't pay any attention to the crypt below. I mean, you know it's there, <laughs> but you come for the ceiling. And, and so Pickens to Pittsburgh, especially with their track record, and I, this is narrative now, and so mm -hmm. this doesn't necessarily factor into my rankings. Makes you feel a little better. But Pittsburgh has been really good at identifying wide receivers. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they identified Pickens, spent a second-round pick, I'm excited about that. Yeah, Pickens mm -hmm. was a fun pick for them, for sure. Um, for me, I guess the biggest standout, and I'm totally going to go with landing spot, and I don't even care at this point, it's Sky Moore. Um, and say what you will about vacated targets, and I was just writing this down earlier, Tyree Kill left behind a ton, like a ton of volume. Over the last two years, he totaled almost 300 targets, almost 200 receptions, 2,500 receiving yards, and 24 touchdowns. Now, again, I get it. Vacated targets, whatever argument you want to say, Peter Howard's turning over in his house somewhere when hearing me talk about <laughs> vacated targets. I get it. But that's, I mean, I still think the Chiefs' offense is going to be good. Their head coach, their quarterback are still incredible. Kelsey's still going to anchor that number one pass-catching role. Um, but beyond that, like, Skyboard could legitimately become the number one wide receiver for this team. I, I think he can be. He comps very well. Um, one of my favorite tools that I use over on Rotoviz is their prospect box score scout. And it combines a whole bunch of college production metrics. And then it also takes into account draft capital, weight, and 40 time. And he comps to like Rashad Bateman, Elijah Moore, and Kelvin Ridley were like three of his five closest comps coming out. So Elijah Moore, Rashad Bateman, Kelvin Ridley. And I'm not really worried about a lot of the other pass catchers on the Chiefs. I mean, they brought over Juju Smith-Schuster. He's on a one-year deal, but it's super incentive-heavy. It's like a $3 million contract, but it's up to like $10 million when you build in incentives. Like, So there's a lot of a lot of extra stuff built in, but they didn't give him much. They brought over MVS from the Packers. That's fine. Um, they did pick up Justin Ross, undrafted, which is kind of exciting. Um, Nicole Hardman, we, we've seen him. We know who he is. I was a big Hardman truther for a while, and I'm never going to drop him from a dynasty roster because I'm just going can't, to – I can't do it. I'm just going to ride him until I can't anymore. But, like, there's really nobody else on that roster in the wide receiver room who I'm like, okay, this guy is legitimately going to step up and be consistent. And I don't know if that's going to be more either. Um, but I think if anyone's got a chance right now, just maybe because he's the new shiny toy and Tyreek Hill is gone, um, I just think there's such good potential there for him. And I'm cherry-picking some stats for sure to kind of fit my own warm and fuzzy narrative. But just, just seeing him get top 55 overall draft capital, I think he was 54th overall, that was cool. That was cool. Coming from, you know, Western Michigan, but it's it's exciting. Mm -hmm. I'm interested with Sky Moore for sure because so much – we've already talked in previous episodes on this show about what is it going to look like, the target distribution for Pat Mahomes, now that Hill's gone because – it was two guys and only two guys that he was throwing to, Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. And now half of that equation is out of town. Does the collective group that they brought in, are they good enough? I still maintain that every single guy that they've added, maybe even Justin Ross, if he stays healthy, is better than whatever was behind Tyreek Hill previously on that team. So if all of them are at least better than that, does he maybe spread it out more? Or does he find just his new fixation? In which case, if that's Sky Moore, then that's going to be an amazing pick for the, the rookie, obviously. So it'll be really interesting to see how that actually pans out. And I think, too, because the Packers and the Chiefs were two of the most trendy landing spots for wide receivers, just to see what they were doing. And Moore was already kind of becoming like the new hotness wide receiver for a lot of people, like in the week leading up to the draft anyways. I mean, he was kind of well outside the top group, it felt like, a couple months ago. Then all of a sudden, like in the last 10 days, it was 
Sky Moore kind of kept creeping up people's draft boards and he gets, you know, at least on paper, probably the perfect landing spot with a legitimate path to opportunity that doesn't take too many mental gymnastics to figure out that, hey, this guy could actually be semi-relevant for fantasy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to talk or ask you guys opinion uh, real quickly here uh, about Wandale Robinson going to the Giants. Now, I know he 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 flashed really great. He looked awesome last year, and I know he's, you know, converted from running back over to wide receiver, but with the Giants, I mean, they they invested in Kadarius Tony last year. They have Kenny Galladay, you know, Sterling Shepard. They got a bunch of guys there already. So it felt like this was a little bit of an odd pick for me, just knowing knowing their wide receiver room already. And I understand that last year there was a lot of health issues with with that group. But um, how do you see him fitting in? And and did you find this as odd a selection as I did? Yeah, I was not really thrilled with the pick. Again, I like Wandell as a player. I think he's a fine player. But he's just, you know, looking at his metrics right now, he measured in at 68 inches, 178 pounds. Tony was 71 inches, 193. So he kind of almost drafted like a shorter, lighter version of Tony. Now, again, trying to remove all of the off the field issues or at least seemingly fit issues with the Giants right now that Kadarius Tony has. He was still electric with the ball in his hands. Like, dude could make plays when you give him a little bit of space, which is cool. Um, I feel like the pick could have been used a little bit better for the Giants. I wasn't thrilled with the landing spot, considering they have a similarly stylistic player on the team already. Again, love the player. Think he'll do well, but just doesn't seem to be a great fit. No, And it felt really strange because there was the the rumors swirling around Kadarius Toney and whether or not the Giants were going to move on from him. Like during the draft, and then they made that Wandell Robinson pick, and it felt a little bit reminiscent of the Chiefs when when they made that that pick with McCall Hartman, and they were like, "We don't know what's going on, you know, with Tyree Kill, so we're gonna we're gonna draft a replacement." It's it's tough to do, and and you know exactly like Sam said, he's he's a smaller player, he's a space player. He's a player you're going to have to manufacture touches for. And it's if you have two of those guys, your offense is going to be ugly. Fair enough. All right. Um, anyone else here in, in from the third round and beyond that, that either of you want to talk about that you think, um, you know, either land in a good spot or, or is going to have really good opportunity? Um, Zach, I can see you're chopping yes. at the bit here. Go for it. Yes, and it's a UDFA, and I am so happy that the medicals checked out and Justin Ross landed in Kansas City. Justin Ross is legit, and the only reason he fell was the, the congenital effusion of his neck and the surgery and, and the medicals, and having Kansas City go through, make sure everything was good, and then signing him to that UDFA contract. I am actually excited about Justin Ross, and I'm excited about him in Kansas City. That offense could be absolutely dangerous. We just listed all the players that they they added, and then you add a uh, a wide receiver out of Clemson who, when he was healthy in his first year, was absolutely dominant uh, on a team that had two other NFL you know players and and. It's man, that's that's the one, and I and and just from a, a humanity uh, perspective, 
seeing him sign, I'm 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 happy that he's there. So that's that's the one for me that's beyond the beyond the pale, beyond the beyond the second round, beyond the third round, beyond the entire draft. That UDFA signing of of Ross. Yeah, I'm in agreement there. He was the only guy that I was going to bring up, so he laid out the argument perfectly. And I think we just have to trust as not NFL people that these teams are doing their due diligence. And, and I genuinely think they are. No, it was really frustrating, you know, just as a human, as a person, someone who, you know, has been rooting for Justin Ross for a while to see him fall totally outside the top seven rounds and go undrafted. But it was really cool that he didn't have to wait too long to land the team that I think if there's ever going to be a chance and we can always play the landing spot card and the Chiefs will always be a fun landing spot for us to talk about as long as Patrick Mahomes is there. And that's fine. Um, but to see him have the chance that, look, if he's going to break out anywhere, there's a good chance that it's here, and that's going to be really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I like that. All right, let's uh, round out our conversation for the evening here with the running backs. And I don't think to anyone's surprised, no one drafted in the first round. Uh, I think more or less those those days are over with uh, altogether. Uh, so in the in the second round, we had Brees Hall, Kenneth Walker, and James Cook. R.I.P. to my uh, Michael Carter uh, love here uh, with Reese Hall being drafted there. That was a little disappointing just for me personally, uh, because I really thought um, we were going to see the Carter breakout this year. You know what, Dustin? Brees did do that to us personally. I take it (laughs) as a personal attack that he chose to do that to the two of us. Yes, but um, I really like what the Jets are doing there uh, and, and building their team. Uh, looks like they're finally getting things right. Uh, so it's, it's going to be exciting to see him on that offense. And and hopefully uh, Zach Wilson, let's be honest, he really can't do worse than he did last year <laughs> as a rookie. So uh, I, I, I'm looking forward to that offense. Um, and, and Kenneth Walker going to Seattle, I think that speaks volumes with uh, Chris Carson. Uh, another one of our favorites here uh, on the show, unfortunately. Um, but he's going to have awesome opportunity there. I think that's a, a really good landing spot for him. Uh, how do you guys feel about that spot for Walker? Yeah, I think to me that was the best landing spot possible for him, even though you're going to see a little bit of a downturn with the quarterback play. I mean, no offense to Drew Locke, but but it's going to be worse than it was with Russell Wilson they're probably not going to be as effective uh, scoring. Mm-hmm. But, man, Pete Carroll loves to run the ball, and and Kenneth Walker runs the ball really well. He was the best runner in this class, uh, bar none. Uh, Brees Hall was my, my running back one, but Kenneth Walker was the best runner of the football. So I, I really like that spot for him. Yeah, nobody establishes the run and chews gum quite like Pete Carroll. There's just no getting around it. No, I agree, though. That was that was a fun landing spot. And I think, you know, we're kind of assuming now that Chris Carson's career, as at least as being far as fantasy relevant, is probably done at this mm-hmm. point, which is frustrating due to the, the nature of his injury and how there's such a fantasy value he felt every year. He always just seemed to be kind of underrated, underdrafted, but he always produced. But it was nice to see the NFL, I think, from a fantasy perspective, they're getting smarter. Not that we are to judge the fantasy or judge the NFL community, but they didn't spend significant draft capital on quarterbacks. They're done drafting running backs in the first round because they don't matter. Uh, we missed out on the the ever coveted Brees Hall to Buffalo landing spot, but yeah, I mean, they're the Jets are surrounding Zach Wilson with talent. Like this is going to be it, it's got to be a good step up here for him, or you know, this is kind of a make it or break it for him. I think probably one of my favorite picks though, jumping ahead even past day two, was Isaiah Spiller to the Chargers. 
I think he will complement what Eckler does so well. And Eckler's never been a high volume rushing attempt back. Not that he can't be, but they've just never really utilized him in that way. He's just such a prolific pass catcher. He can be a goal line back. We saw that. I think he scored 20 touchdowns this last year. And, you know, a good chunk of those were through the air. But he can run between the tackles, but he doesn't have to. Which, again, will be frustrating for fantasy managers because we want him to be that 300-touch guy. But it's been fun to see, um, or will be fun to see, I think, Spiller, you know, Roundtree, Jackson, they're not viable backups. So he will definitely step into that role and I think be pretty decent from from day one. So to see him even only get round four draft capital, I think it was a great fit for what that offense wants to do. I wanted to ask a follow-up question about that, actually, because Spiller was one of my big-time question marks. Or I did, yes, uh, of course, go to the Chargers and that's wonderful. However, you cycle through the guys who have been behind Austin Ecker previous, previously. You got your Joshua Kelly, your, your Justin Jackson, Larry Roundtree, et cetera. Not saying that any of these guys are Isaiah Spiller. I do wonder what we project the actual splits to look like there. I mean, are we talking, is Isaiah Spiller in line for say, 150 carries? Is that within the realm of possibility for him or maybe even beyond? I think that's probably on his high-end range of outcomes for this year. And who knows? We'll see how the offseason goes, kind of how they game plan and, and want to develop that offense to fit the new running back skill set or how they want to integrate Spiller into what they want to do. But I would say 100 carries is probably his floor. I don't know how much more he'll get than that. Um, it probably depends on how good the offense is. We know that division is incredibly difficult. We'll see what kind of game scripts the Chargers find themselves in this year, having to play six games um, in division that are going to be pretty challenging across the board. Um, but if they find themselves in some positive game scripts and really want to grind the clock and not have to lean on um, on Justin Herbert and that wide receiver group and maybe give Austin Eckler a breather, then yeah, he can he can kind of work himself into a role. But I think we should you know should expect to see some some decent involvement relatively soon. I would think. Right on. Yeah. And the nice thing about Spiller, too, is he's not a slouch in the receiving game. He had 20 receptions or more every season uh, at Texas A&M. So, like, he's a he's a pass catcher, but also a big – I mean, what is he, 6'1", 215, something like that. So he's a bigger back. He can carry the ball, too. So you may see him not just spell Eckler in the, the, the grind – but also now where you get a 17-game season, you may see him actually take uh, entire drives. And, and so that'll be – it'll be interesting. I mean, you're not going to see him take a huge chunk away from Eckler. I mean, Eckler's still the stud on that. Like, I love – my favorite gif of all time is Austin Eckler doing the one-hand pull-ups reading a book. You know, he's still that <laughs> He's still that guy. But, uh, but Spiller's a nice back. Mm-hmm. And then uh, just briefly here, uh, a couple guys I want to ask you two about. Um, one that I think probably will be jumping up a lot of the not crazy fantasy people like us uh, draft boards, uh, more of the the average Joe out there, um, is Damian Pierce landing with Houston. But then I also uh, want to get your thoughts on Atlanta uh, drafting Tyler Algier, if I pronounce that correctly. Sure did. So first, uh, let me tackle Algier. He is an interesting back. We'll say that. I, I'm trying to be polite. I don't know if, if Mrs. Algiers is listening. Like he, he was, he was very good in the conference that he was in. He had a lot of breakaway runs, but they were really well blocked. Like it was a wide open hole. 
it's a good landing spot for him because the Atlanta backfield is is a wide receiver playing running back and a running back wishing he was still a running back. So it's it's kind of a an open or a more open backfield. But I'm not super excited uh, about Algier. And I'm going to throw a little more cold water. Damian Pierce, I know a lot of people a lot smarter than I am like Damian Pierce. He's got the best vision of anybody I watched, but it only goes for three yards. And after that, like he has real trouble creating. He does a fantastic job uh, kind of driving the defense where he wants to, setting up his blocks, waiting for that open hole, making that cutback, getting through the hole, and that's the end of it. So it's a good spot in Houston. He's probably the best option they have for now, but he's not a great option long term. Uh, so to me, he's a he's a back that if you're in the the late second round of a draft, you either draft him, wait till he gets a job, and then trade him, or if somebody's really excited about going to get Damian Pierce, trade out of that pick. Does anybody yeah. know an undo pick in a rookie draft? By the way, just a totally unrelated question. I'm just curious. Can I? Is there an undo button for drafting? A guy? Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> what you do, Jake? <laughs> I took it in the middle of the second like a damn chump. God. Now, see, I like that, though, because my only pushback on Damian Pierce, yeah, he might only get three yards of carry, but volume is everything for running backs. And that, that'll be that'll be his saving grace. And I agree. He's probably going to be in a situation where if he gets off to a really good start his rookie year, he's probably he's probably an easy sell if you can get, you know, get a decent return for him. Because I just I, I'm, I'm in agreement there. I don't envision him being a long-term viable option. Not that his draft capital is prohibitive. He was a fourth-round pick. Uh, but, yeah, he... He's probably their best running back on the. He's probably the best running back on the roster right now, and that's not really saying a lot. So it's not a knock on him, but I think it's just a testament to the depth chart because there isn't one. But I do think he'll he'll be a lock for pretty significant work, and I think he can handle it. He didn't really get a chance to have it in college, but I think he has the physical stature in order to ma- manage that type of workload that um they'll probably get without too much too much difficulty in Houston. Yeah, he's a steal. If you were if you had a good team last year. And you could end up with a running back too in the mid second. Like that's good. Like you're liking that. If if we're talking like long term fantasy production, maybe not. I really wish you could like Frankenstein together, uh, Damian Pierce and Kevin Harris, because Kevin Harris runs like a madman, doesn't have any vision. Damian Pierce has all the vision and just I want I want them together. I just. <laughs> You know, with our powers combined, we're Captain Planet. You you need to have like one of them controlling the other with a remote. <laughs> I think that's how you get that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we are closing in on an hour here, and I want to be cognizant of our guest time here. So I, I want to end the show here with with two questions, uh, and I'll, I'll I'll throw it to each of you individually. So first question I have is um, if there's one player that we haven't talked about yet that, that you want to uh, pound the table for and, and say why we should be looking at this player, go for it. And then two, in your rookie drafts, who's the one player you're not leaving without? Uh, for me, I don't know if I really want to pound the table for him, but I think it's just such an intriguing player and draft spot with David Bell. He didn't really come up in our discussion at all today, but 
he's been in a discussion for being one of the top end wide receivers for this class for a while, at least in the Debbie community. So see him slip to round three, not not really overly worried about it. Landing spot is interesting. Um, quarterback spot for that team is going to be interesting to follow, at least for the first half of this year. We'll see what all shakes out in Cleveland, but um, that'll be fun. It's kind of an open depth chart, kind of a muddied quarterback situation. Could be great, could be terrible, um, but I think with the draft capital that he has and what I think it'll cost to get him in rookie drafts, um, I, I think he'll be a fun one that probably has a pretty extensive range of outcomes. Um, and then for me, probably... I got to go with Sky Moore as the guy I'm probably not going to leave without because I think you'll be able to get him late first, depending on where people maybe want to take Pickett, if they want to take another running back there. Um, but I'm excited. You know, he was kind of the guy I like to talk about earlier today because I think he just has that that big upside and a great landing spot. Mm-hmm. Zach, I I love the David Bell. David Bell, I, I'll I'll bring my notebook up. David Bell is on my on my list to talk about, but I'll pivot. I'll go further down. I'll go way down. And the guy that I will I will tap the table for is a six-round <laughs> running back. Keontae Ingram ended up in Arizona. The best back in Arizona is John Connor. The second best back in Arizona is probably Keontae Ingram. Keontae Ingram can catch passes, and he can spell in case of an injury. So that is a very late-round pick that I think could end up paying huge dividends in your dynasty league for this year and potentially beyond. And if we're talking about a guy that I am not leaving my rookie drafts without, I already talked about him. It, it's the Basilica. It is George Pickens because people are much lower than I am on Pickens. So I can get what I consider a deal. Uh, and it's, it's not quite in the same vein as AJ Brown a couple of years ago and Justin Jefferson a couple of years ago where you could get my wide receiver one at like 208, 209, 210. I mean, 108, 109, 110. But it's it's a similar. It's like you know, if, you, if you look at an angle and kind of squint, it's that same process. I love okay. that. And I love that you called back out Justin Jefferson. I still I, remember having you on this, the, I think, the first time talking about <laughs> Justin Jefferson. And, you know, as an anti-Vikings guy, I just wrote you off entirely. So. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, all right. Um, well, yeah, I think uh, we, we've hit our hour here. Uh, I think this was great. Uh, I want to thank both of you for coming on. Uh, I'll give you both uh, some time here to tell us uh, where people can find you. Anything you want to promote that you're doing, uh, just just throw it all out there. Um Zach, let's start with you. So I am over at the DFPN at work, the only at work in town, uh, Dynasty Dummies podcast, the occasional guy on the couch for Peter Howard's uh, weekly grind on on the DLF stream. But the most important thing I want to talk about, and and I'll I'll do this quick, but it deserves attention, is the Scott Fishbowl and the Scott Fishbowl Podathon. That's all coming up. Charity, Toys for Tots. This year, the Scott Fishbowl Potathon is going to be July 9th and 10th, and it is going to be 36 hours, and we're going to raise some serious money. Sal, Kevin, and Steve are, are driving that. And if you're around, stop by, uh, donate. It's a good time. It's a great cause. So that's that's really the important stuff. Heck yes. 
Yeah, man, I don't have anything quite as wholesome to plug as that, but I will definitely (laughs) echo everything that the Scott Fishbowl stands for. It's it's an incredible opportunity, whether you're a part of it or not. I think just what Mm -hmm. it represents to this fantasy community and beyond has just is unmatched, and it's really cool. So if any way, if it pushes you or inspires you in any way to give back or to donate or to do do something good for those around you, I think that's that's the biggest takeaway. But yeah, you can find a lot of my written work now. Um, haven't written much for Rotoviz lately. I've been doing a lot of work for the Fantasy Life newsletter. Um, been hanging out with Jake a little bit more over there, which has been awesome. Uh, been helping run some social media for FTN Network, and yeah, just just hanging out, doing a bunch of different things, and having a ton of fun. So thank you guys for the opportunity to jump on tonight. Yeah, Jake, any last words here before we sign off? Thanks, guys. Thanks for coming on our show and making us feel like an intelligent source of rookie information because <laughs> I'll tell you, without the two of you, that would not be the case. So much appreciation. Well, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we really do appreciate it. I had a lot of fun this evening. And until next week, folks, keep drinking and talking fantasy football. Cheers, F. Eppers. Oh,